It is Saturday the 6th of March 2021 and the time is 6.48pm. I'm joined here today by Alicia Badiani. By day, Alicia runs two Montessori childcare centres and is also a, child, a chartered accountant. But in her spare time, she wears a number of hats, including author, self-love advocate, social media influencer, and some of her most prominent achievements include the publication of her own book, Beautiful You, a book based on how to practice unconditional self-love. And Alicia has also reached the finals of Miss India UK 2018. How exciting. Now, Alicia, your story starts in Vancouver, Canada. And then I believe you spent a lot of time in Manchester and London in the UK. But now as we're recording this, you are um, in your kitchen, I see, uh, <laughs> back in Canada. So, um, I'll just hand it over to you. I, I, what I will mention to the audience or to people listening to the podcast is that we met on a social media app called Clubhouse. Now, if you haven't downloaded Clubhouse yet, get it. I, I really, really advise it. If you've got an iPhone, that is, because it's um, an iPhone only app at the moment. Um, and it's a great way to connect and um, network. And yeah, we met through this app. And Alicia, you were so lovely and so willing to chat to me. And um, I, I, yeah, I just had to get you on the podcast. And you very kindly have... Oh, thank you. You know, you very kindly offered your time. So I'm very grateful. Um, now, in your clubhouse bio, it says the future is a mystery. So I find that very interesting. So let's unpack all of that and start from the very beginning. Uh, when and where were you born? So I was born in Vancouver, Canada. Um, my parents did get married in England and my older sister was born in England. Um, but they moved to Vancouver a couple years before I was born. So me and my younger sister were born here. So okay. I, yeah, so I was uh, living here until I was about 18. And then at 18 years old, I moved to Manchester. Oh, wow. So from Vancouver to Manchester, what, what a difference that must have been. It and was, to move at the age of 18, right? Yeah. Um, I hadn't ever been to Manchester before. I knew they had a great university and I'd been to England like every single year since I was young. So my grandma and my uh, extended family all live in London and like North London. So I used to go and visit them all the time. It was cheaper to, or just about the same price to fly to England as to Toronto or the other side of the country. So oh, wow. every time we would consider like, should we go to Toronto or should we go explore our own country? And then I think about London is just about the same price and you get that much farther. And plus we love to spend time with, you know, my grandma, um, she passed away um, quite a while ago, but um, it was just nice to go spend time with our family. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that that's one expensive domestic flight. I didn't realize it was that much to yeah, travel within the same country. Yeah, it's so expensive. I mean, Canada's huge, right? It Everyone thinks it's, you know, the same country. It can't be that far, but it's like a five, six hour flight to get to Vancouver to Toronto. Um, yeah, it's far. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. So what was it like? And um, so from, from when you were born up until the age of 18, what was it like growing up in Vancouver and being Indian? You're of Indian origin. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. So what yeah. is, where specifically are your parents or grandparents from, from in India? So um, they're, we're Gujarati. Um, but I think like many other families in the South Asian diaspora in England, especially they were born in Africa. So my mom was born in Tanzania and my dad was born in Kenya. Um, and then they moved to England when they were quite young and my mom actually moved to Canada like she was in England for a few years and then spent her high school um, in Canada so she was raised here so I had a really interesting and different childhood I would say to a lot of uh, my cousins in England um, it's also, I don't want to say it's similar to what you see in movies, but there's certain movies where I've had friends in England be like, this is so unrealistic. I'm like, actually, this looks like my childhood. I mean, playing on the streets and playing, you know, going for cycles around the block or there's just so much more space here that you do see. And I mean, I spent a lot of time in my garden or um, just playing in the driveways and doing a whole host of extracurricular activities. But the best thing about Vancouver is there's so much nature and scenery and outdoor stuff to do that it's not just your soccer, basketball, or sorry, football, basketball, volleyball. Um, there's just other things to do. So every year we go camping with our school um, 
and yeah, go to the island sometimes. It was a bit different than I think childhood can be in England. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, the nature around you must have been great. Oh, that's amazing. And I didn't even appreciate it until I moved to England and then I'd come <laughs> back and I was like, wow, the mountains. Mom's like, yep, <laughs> fresh air, there. what? Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, it's so pretty. She's like, yeah, the mountains have always been there. I'm like, you just don't appreciate them or see them the same when it's just so naturally in your background. But now that I'm back, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. God, yeah, I, I can imagine. Age too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so you were in Vancouver. Now, were there other Indians like you growing up? Um, we have a very small community. Um, I mean, there's lots of Punjabi and Sikh community is huge, but in terms of the Gujarati community, it's pretty tiny. In England, um, there's there's so many Gujaratis, I think that they even separate them by caste or, you know, if you're Loana or Patel or, you know, the different <laughs> ones. Yeah. But here, it's like you're Guju and you're all together. There's no difference like that. So I had a bit of a culture shock moving to England. And I was like, at first I thought it was just a way to organize like events. Yeah. And, but I do think there's a bit of difference and there's some, like, I don't agree with it at all. Um, but I've heard people within my community be like, oh, but Luana is different to Patel and it's different to, um, mm, yeah, yeah. I just think it's, I, I don't know. I don't really want to, I, I don't identify with that kind of difference, but no. yeah, here it's just so small. So in my high school, there was only a handful of Indian people and there was nobody else in my class that was Indian. I was the only one in my whole year. Um, so that was quite interesting. Really? It's completely yeah. different to me. So I went to, I'm, I'm from London, I'm from South London. And in my mm-hmm. class of, it was an all girls school. So in my class of 30 girls, there were only like about four or five white girls and maybe one black girl. And the rest were like wow. Indian or South Sri Lankan. So yeah, it, it was, um, I want to say mixed, but it was very, very, a lot of South Asians, a lot of South Asians growing up. So that's very different. Um, so one question I like to ask um, is, when you were growing up, let's say like in your teen years, how did you identify? How would you have identified yourself as? Would you have said that you were Canadian or Indian or British? Because I know you spent a lot of time in England as well. Yeah. So at my teen years, when I was still here, I was very much Indo-Canadian. Um, I love that phrase, Indo-Canadian. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I very... Um, I very much had the Indian side to me and I was always into Bollywood and dancing. I did a lot of dancing and whatnot growing up. There was Garba competitions here that would happen across um, Canada in a way. So we would, every few years, we compete against Edmonton and Calgary and Fort McMurray. Um, So we would, every few years, the like city would change. So that was always really fun because you, I mean, rehearse a dance and perfect it for about five six months and then you get to the competition so I oh, wow. there was one in Vancouver yeah one in Vancouver yeah. there was one in Edmonton that I was a part of um and it was a lot of fun and on the side of that I just did a lot of other dancing as well like contemporary hip-hop but very like with an Indian twist mm-hmm. um, yeah. I really enjoyed it so outside of school I was really heavily into my I think extracurriculars that were into my roots in a way. I also played a lot of football, but that's where I found a lot of struggle because in my spare time, I wasn't watching 90210 and all these movies and shows that, you know, I wasn't really allowed to, um, nor did I really have interest to watch that much TV. And so I'd get to school and have this disconnect because I wasn't listening to all the same music necessarily. And I always was trying to fit in so hard. So I found... I found it really difficult because I felt like I had two sides to me the side at school that I was you know trying to fit in with and then the side outside of school Um, and then even my football team like so I used to go to school about 40 minutes from where I'm living but the rest of my football friends that I was so I used to play close to where I live um, and all of them used to go to one or two schools around the area so they all really knew each other and it was also a girls school and then again I was kind of the only one that stuck out like a sore thumb because I went to school so far away and they were so nice so I still keep in touch with a couple of them and most of them were Italian on my team because it's a very Italian area that I live in so it was really interesting because I had like three different pools of things going on um 
but yeah, I really much identified with Indo-Canadian. And then I moved to England and I find like my British side, I guess, a huge part of me as well. I think I really identify with that now. Um, because from 18, I would say like when I'm not becoming an adult, I don't really, I feel like I'm still a child a lot of the times, but <laughs> so much of my life and growing up was on my own in England. So that is another huge side of me. And I've only been back in Canada about six months now. So. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. quite, fairly recently then. Yeah, for sure. Well, let, let's uh, um, unpack the differences between sort of Canadian or Indo-Canadian like customs or you know, mannerism, shall we say, compared to the British one. So like, what, what do you think is like the main difference between the Canadians and the British? Oh, that's a great question. That's a really hard question too. Um, well, I know one stereotype of the Canadians is they're like extremely polite people, like very, yeah. very nice. Could be, I mean, is that correct? <laughs> you tell me. I have a theory on this one. I have a theory that okay, I think- go on. British people are just very direct and it's not a bad thing or a good thing I think it's a great thing actually but I think here people can be really passive aggressive sometimes <laughs> um, so people are polite but you also hear like I've heard you know people like to gossip and talk it's it kind of happens I think in a smaller city um, mm -hmm. but people also have a really nice side to them as with anywhere so I don't want to like stereotype it too much but because it's such a small city you can't really afford to sometimes lose certain friends or be mean to some people because they will always be in a friend of a friend circle or they'll always mm. circle back to that one friendship group. So I see a lot of smaller um, friendship groups here. Like it's, there's not as many clicks, but that's because there's just not that many people. It's all mm. one or two big clicks. Um, whereas in England, I feel like if you vibe with certain people, that's great. And if you don't, there's so many more people that you can find friends with within the South Asian diaspora or outside. It doesn't really matter, which is why I think people are so direct because and honest, because it doesn't mean you will be isolated from a group. It's kind of part of why I moved to England, because I just started not really getting along with some of the people and you know rumor spreads and then you're like yeah. this is not true but you bump into the same people the same unis around here it's a very small city so you kind of always just see the same faces okay. um so that was one thing but uh, apart from that I think a lot of it's quite similar it's just there's just so many more people and the culture's a lot you know deeper I think in some parts in England yeah for sure it's funny you say that because I would have thought of course, there's like there's loads and loads of like South Asians in in London, especially. Um, but I always just tend to find that whenever like I'm at a party or I'm literally in a clubhouse chat, there's always I scroll down. There's always like someone that I know or someone or a friend of a friend. And um, it seems like really connected in a way. But um, yeah, I can imagine like growing up in a town in Vancouver. Um, it, it's a lot different <laughs> to how it is I, here. That's so interesting because on Clubhouse, I mean, the first couple of weeks, I didn't see anybody I knew. I was like, this is great. I'm meeting literally every new person. Whereas now I'm like, okay, there's a couple of people I know. I'm not super close to them, but I know of them. Um, but yeah, I feel like Clubhouse is becoming a small click of its own in some ways because it's a lot of the same faces, but it's starting to grow and you can see it's so nice to keep connecting with so many new people like yourself. I yeah. didn't know you when I was in England and yeah, now we're making this friendship, which is amazing. Yeah, exactly. So now you know me and you can... Uh... Give me a shout out on Clubhouse and vice versa, <laughs> for sure. Um, cool. So, okay, where have we got up to? So you're 18 and you're at uh, Manchester Uni. What, what, what did you study yeah. at uni? So I studied accounting and economics. Um, before, a kind of reason as to why I also moved there, I skipped over that. But I find uni in Canada a lot slower. Canada and America, it's like four years for a degree. Mm, yeah, yeah. Some people run into the fifth year and you can also end up doing summer semesters unless you put a lot of pressure on yourself and you don't you want to avoid the summers but it's very normal to do them here in england there's no summer semesters um and my sister went to university here my older sister and it took her so long that when i was coming up to deciding where i wanted to go I was actually looking to get football scholarships here, like soccer scholarships. Oh, wow. And then I had a couple injuries, a few injuries that led me to having to quit the sport. And as soon as that all happened, my parents were like, cool. So England, that's a great shout. Um, <laughs> and I didn't really think much 
like think twice about it then I have always been such a busybody that Vancouver's got a very laid-back lifestyle so one the change was nice to have a more busy lifestyle two I loved spending time with my family and like in a lot of ways I knew England and I really wanted to like be around them and be there more granted they're all in London and like Manchester's a completely different place and like different city altogether um but also then uni's a lot faster there and you also get an honors and you go right into the program you're looking at so this is maybe helpful for people who are listening who are debating between the two or looking to go but I think it was the best decision because I went straight into accounting and economics and in your first year you get maybe two electives and those electives are still within your group of yeah. you know what you're studying for whereas in Canada you doesn't matter what program you get into your first two years are very general and only until you get to your third year do you specialize into your field yeah so yeah. here you might be doing English lit or you might be doing business studies or uh, physics or something um science related but your first two years doesn't matter what you're doing will look so similar yeah so I know a lot of people who are studying two completely different degrees but their first two years they were in a lot of same classes um a friend of mine who did business studies she was taking physics in her first year and I was like that makes no sense (laughs) yeah so yeah it was really interesting so I went to accounting and economics I went into accounting and economics in Manchester and it was a really hard first year, um, first couple years. I mean, socially and adjusting, that was so difficult for me. Oh, okay, yeah, let's talk about that. So Freshers, so for anyone who doesn't know, Freshers is like the first year of your university experience. And it's daunting for everyone, I think, to some extent. Um, my personal university experience is that I went to, I went to the University in Warwick, which is in the Midlands. Um, mm. But basically everyone there was from London anyway. <laughs> um, and I don't know it was an easy it was I would say it was a fairly easy vibe to just get on with people because it was very it was very much the types of people that I would knew from back home anyway and but for you you came from Canada and then to to Manchester of all places in the UK so what was that like how did you how did you find Freshers? Freshers was so interesting um I liked so freshers week first off I was like what <laughs> yeah. is this because yeah. <laughs> I had never been out or been able to drink because they eat drinking each year is 19 so mm-hmm. when I went and I was 18 everybody already had like six months or a few months of like being out in clubs experience and I was like completely fresh oh, yeah, yeah. and I was like what yeah that was very interesting but freshers year I like that they don't, or a lot of unis and mine at that time, didn't put so much weight into your first year as to your overall degree and what you get at the end, like a first or two one or whatnot, because it's still your year to kind of learn a lot about yourself and grasp uni and get grounded in the place. So it was nice to have the year to really settle and adjust. I was very homesick a lot of the time. I was also dating someone back then and it became a huge comfort for me to have somebody although he was he was in London but I kind of took that anxiety from being away from home and feeling homesick and just channeled it into a relationship which in hindsight wasn't great I mean it was mm. a very toxic relationship um, but at that time you know I was looking for coping mechanisms I'm also a very like bubbly person and very I think friendly I'd like to say but I was so out of my comfort zone because here there's so such small groups that I was associating in and so used to being in my certain bubbles like small bubble in my community and like the South Asian side um, the Guju side small bubble in my football and then I went to the same school for 12 years so I really never had huge opportunities to make new friends or to try and immerse myself with different people and I found that really hard I got a lot of social anxiety I wasn't always sure if you know if I didn't get a formal invite or told to like join a party I would just be like no I'm not I'm not supposed to go like they didn't say whereas I think things are really laid back and freshers everyone's trying to make friends and get out there right and I put a lot of judgment on myself and I put a lot of pressure on myself and I had that still thought in my head that you know, people find me weird and they don't want to be friends. So I, I got really, it, it was really hard to like continue to put myself out there and make friends. Um, but not to say that I didn't, I had like amazing groups of people around me. It just took me a lot of time, I think, within to really be who I am and show 
show just my true self I was always trying to put on an image so I was trying to like continue to make friends with people but I I don't think I'm the only person that does that I think a lot of people find it hard to make friends just nobody really talks about it as much and I think especially uh something like freshers because up as you said up until then you're in the school system you've had the same group of friends for however many years um and then you're basically thrown into another city or in your case another country and it's like well what um but yeah I mean one thing again as you said one thing I'll say to listeners is that if you are about to start university it's a time when everyone is in the same boat quite literally that everyone wants to make friends um I I couldn't imagine what freshers now are doing with covid and lockdown um I'm sure that increases social anxiety to a whole other level but um clearly you got out of it and I uh, well what so what were your friends like at university tell me about that I had a huge group a mix of them um because in one way, so I got grouped into like the international halls. For some reason, there was like quite a difference. You saw a lot of locals being in certain halls and then internationals being in a different one. Mm, so yeah, I was yeah. in a very international. I think that's normal, I guess. But I was in a very international hall. So a couple of my friends that I lived with in first year are still really good friends of mine. And um, I so uh, one of them was Norwegian and the other one's Nigerian. Um, and I had like decent friendships with them but that was more like the evenings and the weekend stuff because our classes were never the same we did completely different things um and then I joined the Bhangra team and made a huge group of friends there which was really nice oh Um, lovely yeah I was on the Bhangra team as well at uni (laughs) long time ago yeah yeah I had never done Bhangra before and I joined and I I was so nervous again I was like I'm the only one of two Gujus in there and we both made the team and it was nice to have another Guju there but I mean I didn't identify or feel different from it I actually think I'm like Punjabi by blood most of the time yeah yeah. Um, and then since then I just had so much fun through that so that was a huge part of my uni and then I was also just a big nerd so I spent a lot of time especially my third year and second year studying um and just doing stuff in my classes and my dissertation and whatnot so yeah just hustling and grinding (laughs) yeah Yeah. now um a great accomplishment of yours is that I don't know if I'm jumping here a bit and I probably am but bear with me is that um you were a Miss India UK 2018 pageant finalist now yeah how cool is that so so you graduated university and then when so when what was the timeline after that How, how did yeah so after three years of being at Manchester Uni, I got into, um, sorry, I got offered a job at um, an accounting firm to, and they, you know, sponsor you to do your ACA. So ACA is your target accounting. And then in England, there's still four different types, whereas in Canada, it's a CPA. Um, so I went to London and worked there for three years, got my ACA and found that the desk life and that position wasn't for me necessarily. Um, so at that same similar time, I got offered a job and recruited to become a lecturer at a different accounting firm. Sorry, not accounting firm, at a, at a college. <laughs> and I was teaching then for the different accounting qualifications. So I took my knowledge and my experience through accounting and then was teaching it, which was really amazing. Such mm. good experience. I loved using my, my skill set from accounting, but also the soft skills and meeting people and being you know, talkative um, to teaching them. And it was at that time while I was working as a lecturer that I got asked to be in a pageant to be Miss India UK. Um, My uncle kind of brought it up to me and then kind of coerced me to doing it and try to convince me. So I thought, you know, in the beginning, I was like, I am not the prettiest. I'm not the skinniest. Like, what am I going to do in a pageant? Um, And then he reminded me and I looked at like previous people in pageants that I'm like it's not about that it's about being a well-rounded person and showing the different aspects and community service and doing different things and I know I've always looked up and loved Ashraya Rai, Priyanka Chopra and Dia Mirza not because of how beautiful they are like what they've done in the industry or the film industry and whatnot but because of everything else they do outside of it. Like as a child, I loved looking at Dear Mirza and what she was doing in, in India and for the um, for humanity. And she's she is a humanitarian and it's amazing to see like she was using her voice in a different way. She knew she had a platform, so why not use it to do good for people? And I, I'm like, I know I'm not on that level. I know I'm not competing at that kind of pageant in a way, but 
it was more like the similarities in the what it represented so even then I was like okay let me make submit the application I don't think it'll like go through but at least you know I did it there's probably not another opportunity like this that will arise so I submitted the application and it actually went through and I was like oh okay I've really stuck myself in this time um but it was a great <laughs> experience yeah well you never know what um what opportunities arise and what you have to take it right definitely it comes you have to take it um and that's it okay now another aspect of one of your many accomplishments is uh the publication of your book um which is called be useful you hope i'm saying that correctly tell us a bit about that because i know it's all about unconditional self-love which is a topic that i think we all we all need to talk about and yeah tell me about that so the pageant actually was a huge eye-opening experience for me I worked myself to the bone and to the ground to try and be this best version of myself or so what I thought I was, you know, be the thinnest and most lean that I'd ever been, perfect my performance. Um, I mean, speaking, I'm very natural at anyways, I, I can talk. Yeah, <laughs> you're, no, you're a great speaker. Yeah, of course. <laughs> lecturing, I was like, great, that's my practice there. But pageant walking, oh my gosh, that was really hard. So it's not the walking that's necessarily hard. It's mastering the confidence to be on that stage. You know, imagine, I mean, like it's hard enough when you go on a date and you're like walking up to the person, you need to spot the person in the restaurant or like wherever you're going. And then you both are just like walking at each other, watching the person walk at you. It's very (laughs) awkward. Like you try not to fall over. Yeah. Yeah, Now imagine just walking down an aisle and like a thousand people looking at you. It's daunting. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a level of confidence on that stage that you cannot mask like when you're dancing on stage even you're hiding behind your performance you know people are not staring at your face or who you are they're looking at the art but when you're walking on that stage there's nothing you can do to deflect that people are watching you walk they're staring at your face they're judging you and rightly so like that's what you sign yourself up to but I could not get out of that fake confidence I was faking my confidence I actually remembered like when I was packing up and moving here I found the confidence essence um, that I was taking at that time I went to this homeopathic doctor for something else and I saw this little bottle about confidence I'm like oh okay like this is something I definitely need and so, like, so wait oh, is it like an essence like an actual essence yeah it's an essence of a few different herbal blends and whatnot oh to help. fine okay yeah it's like a I think like rescue remedy that you get for anxiety and something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's one for confidence. But to me, like in retrospect, I'm like, this just shows how low my confidence was at that time in myself that I was trying to get it through all these external factors. And I felt like a huge imposter on that stage. I'd never modeled before and all the other girls had. I'm a tomboy at heart, like playing football and doing, I was just a tomboy growing up. And I that's a huge part of who I am um and not in a bad way but I just felt like completely out of my comfort zone being on that stage and confidence is something huge that you need to be on that stage and Priyanka Chopra I was watching a video and she talks about it a lot but I still that being the reason that she won her pageant is just because she had the confidence and I didn't and it was so apparent to everybody in the audience but especially the judges and one of the judges who I was so excited to meet because he was a, he was in a movie um, that really resonated with me growing up. And he, he was like one of the only people in the panel I was super excited to meet. And he gave me a four out of 10 for my looks. And I oh, felt, I, what? I crumbled. I really, on the inside, I really crumbled after, after the pageant when I heard that, I felt like super small. And that shouldn't even be a thing God, it should I wasn't no. supposed to maybe find out but I saw the I mean I think a bunch of us saw the scores and um that kind of opened my eyes and it was one of the best things that happened to me but it opened my eyes to see why my confidence and my self-love was so low why mm. did I feel so bad that someone else gave me a, a score and I was validating it by letting it affect me that bad yeah by one person I, saying that yeah, why is it yeah no I completely understand I gave away my power to let somebody else's thought and judgment of me affect myself 
And in a way, I think I thought it of myself. I just had someone else validate it and say it back to me. You know, you've always got that negative voice in the back of your head. Like we all have that duality and have that negative one. And when it gets really loud, like you can kind of just ignore it or sometimes you listen to it. But when it's said to you out loud, it's a different game. So that led to this book. Um, and the book is about getting to a place of unconditional self-love because I really just didn't find myself beautiful. I didn't find I was attracted to myself. And it's a huge reason as to why I was trying to get super lean and get in my best shape per se. Best, I don't know what best shape even means now, but that's what I thought I was doing at that time. Mm. Um, and I was you know, working out twice a day and eating and skipping meals and eating super little, trying to just get to this physique that I thought would make me the happiest. I was trying to get into this body that I thought if I am like this, then I will be happy and I will be lovable and I will be deserving of people's love and attention and time. And it's just all so wrong. So, you know, they always talk about the inside that matters. And I've, I've always wanted to have a clean heart and a good heart, but I'm like, well, unconditional self-love means you have to accept everything about yourself. Yeah, including unconditionally. Your unconditionally, including your externals, including your face and your body. And, you know, it's about body, mind and soul. Body is a huge part of it. You can't just ignore it and saying, well, it's the inside that matters. Of course, at the end of the day, it's, it, it is that matters, but you still need to love yourself all the way. Of course, 100%. And without sort of getting too deep into this, what do you think caused that? Like, because what what brought you to that point? Was it that one judge who gave you that four out of 10? Or because you said the whole run up to the pageant, you were, you know, sorry, say that again. Sorry, it was the tip of the iceberg for me. Tip of the iceberg. So how, Um, so how did that iceberg form in the first place? What, what? So through my childhood, I mean, through a lot of these things that are tipping points for a lot of people and that end before, you know, the breaking point, it's always a buildup of stuff. So being around people in my childhood who were always concerned about their weight and talking about it and none, no, just to be clear, I'm not pointing fingers or blaming anybody for this. Everyone's going through their own struggles and their own inner battles. And when we are, we've got those inner battles, whatever's within is what's without. You know, whatever we have internally that we're battling with, people can pick up on that quickly. Um, And as a child, you're very sensitive, especially in your young years, to what people are focusing on around you. So some of people around me, even in school, um, some of my family, and it's not, not again, not to point fingers, but it it is, it was there. Um, and especially like around the media at that time, you know, the definition of beauty, like now it's about curves and being, you know, voluptuous in certain, certain areas and thinner and others. But at that time, the media was like, be super thin, cure nightly, so, like, you know, stick, stick, stick thin. And I was always curvy. I've always had a figure. So it was always this pressure that I was have, I'd have on myself of like, you're not thin and you work out all this time and you do this but you're not thin per se I get made fun of for my like big chest and my big bottom and I was like okay and so you kind of just channel and push things like that to the side to joke it off and then it builds and it builds and you don't realize that it just kind of keeps going and is part of your subconscious habit right I was always obsessed about um, being smaller and obsessive over my food and eating healthy and so it did tumble into some eating disorders that I am like that, that even happened um, post pageant and afterwards. So it's all been a huge journey for me, but getting to at least acknowledge it and have the awareness around it to start reversing some of these patterns and these thought processes, that's, that's been the real work. Gosh, um, I know you, so yeah, you, you mentioned um, eating disorders that you've experienced, yeah. but before we get into that, um, because that is a big topic that I really want to unpack and I think it might help a lot of the listeners as well but before we get into that one thing you also said was the effect of social media growing up now mm-hmm. well, as when we're young we're like sponges we you know taking everything yeah. around us and what people say and think even if it's not meant with a malicious intent intent doesn't even matter sometimes um and of course this podcast is all about migration and different cultures do you you feel like the pressure or how should I phrase this the um, media pressure or pressure from friends and family 
in Canada growing up was different to what you experienced when you were there when you then came to Manchester and London um I mean the group of people I was around was completely different mm. you know growing up um when you're in that school environment and living with family or like my parents you're still trying to get your education and do you know do what your parents want you to do but I mean, like, they're your carers, right? There's, you're never going to get out of that. And it, I'm not saying it was a bad thing. It was great, but it was a very different group of people I was around. Because at uni, now you're all of a sudden surrounded by, by people pretty much just around your age. And um, I wasn't, you know, I was now in charge of myself and taking care of myself. I didn't have mom or my parents to drive me to this practice and to do this and to check on me that I was, like, getting um, my work done. So it was a very different group of people I was around. I don't, I think especially by the time you get to the late teens, a lot of these habits and sponge-like pressure or sorry, things that we absorb are already set in. Hmm. They say until you're seven years old, you're a super sponge. Like you're really taking in everything around you. And then it's about continuing that habit and form and you're still growing and learning and you're still taking in a lot of stuff, but your habits and your subconscious patterns already are formed by that sort of age so I think it was kind of just maybe dragging out um I was also in that relationship and that was super toxic and <laughs> that I had a lot of pressure on like very direct as well um being told I was looking fat and certain things and I was I was oh even my god like, what I was a give me this person's that. name and number like, no, no, no. Awful. yeah but I mean again like he was also just going through his own thing and I have nothing but um I just have uh, warmth within my heart to, that I hope he gets not uh I just want him to, to kind of go through his own thing and get through it because it's otherwise just going to keep feeding on um people you know him calling me out on what I'm wearing and saying like things don't look good and or like commenting on what I'm eating and being like so there's certain things like that that would bother me and then my eating disorders even at those few years I think a lot of it was from that relationship that it really like put a lot of pressure on myself right, right so right. after that relationship I did put on a few pounds and I felt free I felt like well I can do what I want I have nobody to comment on if I'm <laughs> eating another chocolate bar or if I'm like eating breakfast and not skipping this or you know if I'm having an extra glass of wine so I did put on a, like, not badly, I was comfortable, I felt free, I really felt free after that. But I've always been into working out and eating healthy. So it wasn't really that bad. Um, but then when it started yo-yoing, and I noticed that weight put on, and then the pageant and stuff was coming up, I was starting to put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, there was also some health complications in my family, like extended family, someone had health complications that I was very much a part of being there to support them and at that time when I was trying to support them I took no consideration to my health and then I put on a few more pounds again so then this sort of yo-yo pattern started happening where I'd put on a few pounds literally like five or six but I would panic and put so much pressure on myself to lose them again um, and my confidence and my weight gain would kind of go hand in hand as soon as I gained the weight I'd lose the confidence and when you lose that confidence in who you are it's very apparent to people around you. So when I'm at social events, I'm not as open. When I'm talking to certain people, I'm feeling a bit more closed. I want to be in the background. And that led to me making this connect in my head, which wasn't there, but in my head, I was like, oh, when I'm putting on weight, people are not as interested in speaking with me and who I am. And when right. I'm losing it, they are. Really, it had nothing to do with them. It was my confidence mm. that was putting portrayed out. It's that and attachment I, of your weight yeah. to what people saw you as, which yeah. obviously we're talking about now, and that, that doesn't make sense because yeah. like, who cares, right? But in your own head, I think for everyone to a certain extent, but I think dealing with something like an eating disorder, which I know you've you've touched on, um, I couldn't even imagine. So if you don't mind, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so I think I've, I've had a couple maybe, but the first one was orthorexia and that's more about just healthy eating and feeling like everything that's not healthy or clean is mm. a better word it's bad yeah. so going to restaurants and then putting too much dressing or fats in the food and I'd like panic I'd have so much food anxiety and in the beginning it wasn't so much a thing um and the more I started getting into health and nutrition and fitness the more I started understanding it the more 
panicked and pressure I put on myself, the more I was aware about how fats, carbs, and proteins work, about how diet and nutrition works, about exercising and how much calories you burn. And I started making this like huge, I just put so much pressure on myself in my head being like, if I eat this slice of pizza, that's like how much walking and how much exercise. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself being like, well, is this worth it? And this is not healthy. And they call it that they call that the uh, my fitness pal mentality because it's like how many calories are you going to put in and then how many calories do I need to burn off on my walk to burn that off and if you're constantly thinking that way yeah and this all started before I even got onto my fitness pal this was happening before I was I like growing up I was always very conscious of food and health per se I've always like been into homeopathic and more natural medicines So I knew that who like my energy and what I'm feeling is very much affected by what nutrients and stuff I'm putting into my body. So this Mm. got exemplified as then my weight concerns started happening because I was then panicked about just being eating clean and eating healthy because that was, you know, eat clean, eat healthy, and then you'll get a decent, you'll be in a decent shape. So all of these things on top of each other just led to like orthorexia. And I would sometimes go to a restaurant and tell people I'm not hungry and eat little bits and then go home and eat properly because I was like oh I felt more comfortable to eat foods that I could control yeah Um, I remember having a coach and they I had like before when I used to eat fish and I went to a restaurant I remember and they cooked it in quite a bit of oil and I was feeling so panicked and I was really trying to get rid of all the oil around it because I was like oh I said a little bit of oil and they put so much and you know like they put it for flavor okay it was probably normal to what other restaurants do it wasn't excessive probably in hindsight but at that time I was like this is blowing my fat um allowance and this is gonna make me you know gain weight and stuff again so it got really obsessive I had just so much stress going to different um, places to eat with people I would avoid people if I didn't want to go to certain restaurants um I would just really focus on what I could control myself and then that just was like really unhealthy in its own way yeah for sure and how did you manage to sort of get out of that um that cycle so that one I feel like me and a friend of mine probably well we did struggle with it kind of together and so when me and her would validate each other by being like yeah we're being healthy and this is right right it was it just made it a bit worse but she found (laughs) out like we both realized at a certain point that we're being um that it wasn't super healthy the way we're going about it. And I didn't know what orthorexia was at the time. Um, I just was starting to become aware of like, and also had this feeling that I wish I could just go out and eat people and feel comfortable. Like before I started getting into this deep of my food journey, I would still go to an Italian restaurant and eat a pasta. I would still go out and be social and I had a decent physique. So I started being like, well, what was I doing then? that I'm not doing now like why could I eat pastas and all this stuff then and now I feel panicked so she actually learned about orthorexia and told me and as soon as I read it I'm like this is literally me like this is everything I struggle with um and that as I was kind of trying to get out of that and learn to eat intuitively and be you know be healthy with my nutrients but also just enjoy myself I started having foods that I hadn't had in a long time, like a cookie or a chocolate bar, um, which, or just like sugars or granola and granola and large, sorry, sugars can be very addictive and having cut them out of my diet for so, so, so long, like almost maybe a year or something by that point, so addictive. And then, yeah, it does start messing with you, with your cravings, with your emotions. And I was starting to get not I think within I was getting quite confused maybe but then it led to binge eating disorder and I was um having episodes of binge eating and I was like what is happening to my body like I felt like an out-of-body experience sometimes where I um was not hungry I was standing in my kitchen I was eating something and I'm like you should put this down and I was like not I would just keep eating it or I'd feel uncomfortable and yet my first thought was eat something like maybe you'll feel better you know and then you're still not feeling better and you're like have something else it might you know have like ginger or have something this and even a lot of the binge eating like I would go through phases of um like it wasn't always binge eating on like unhealthy things 
it was sometimes on the quote unquote healthy stuff that um that I would have like rice cracker with some nut butter or yeah too much fruit or you know it was just like really silly things but um yeah that was that was its own so you went from from sort of one one eating disorder to the other basically yeah and And it um, was a bit of a transition between it like there was something else so basically um I was in an uncomfortable situation which I blamed my body for um and that uncomfortable situation okay so because I blame my body I then started it kind of led to that binge eating disorder because I stopped caring so much about what I was eating or like trying to be that 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 healthy I was not concerned about being super stick thin um because I was like if I didn't look this way then maybe I wouldn't have brought this attention and stuff into my life um so because of that I still I just lost motivation to gym but your Mm -hmm. hunger's still there like if you're going to the gym four or five days a week but then you stop right away you still are hungry you're like used to eating certain amounts so that then I went into my own spiral of starting to put all this pressure on myself to like not have that attention into my life etc and then that led to kind of the binge eating so that was a very weird time but again it was time that I needed to process also the beauty in all this though was that I proved to myself that getting to a place of unconditional self-love is possible like I mean I still have my ups and downs but when I put on all that weight from the binge eating I still was like no I love myself and I was having a lot of internal battle by blaming myself for sure for that incident but also like it doesn't matter I am a being of love I am a child of the universe I'm not worthy of anything less so I know I've talked a lot about my hardships through this but it doesn't like there have actually been a lot of blessings and good things in it um so it was kind of just always this yo-yo and spiral in my own head of like being proud of myself and getting to better deeper understandings of who I am but also having outer experiences in the world that were challenging my viewpoints of myself that were challenging my love for myself and I mean that yeah that's just been my journey I think it all comes from what you're saying it all comes down to love like and your perception of like your the, the value that you put on yourself and how yeah. you love yourself and um thank you for sharing that um I would do want to ask like, do you now love yourself unconditionally would you say I would say I'm on the path to it and I'm a lot closer to it than I've ever been I don't think like I the reason why I say I don't just say yes is because I don't think it's a place you can ever get to 100 mm, percent I was gonna ask that yeah is it a destination or is it more the journey no, it's always a journey. Like it's the same thing with abs, right? You can get to abs and having abs, but you yeah. still have to sustain it. So, and you're never, I mean, like you can get so, so, so close to having like the best, 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 best six pack, but you're still going to keep working at it and you're still going to sustain it. But even when you get there and you're like content with having that six pack, you're like, you know, you can always look at it and say there is place for improvement, or you can be like, I'm happy I've got the six pack. And I feel like that's where I'm at. Like I have that unconditional self-love. I still have my days and I have my moments where I'm like, okay, I'm feeling self-love is a little hard today. And I'm feeling like there's some things within me that are bothering me, but it's always a continuous um, journey. You know, you continually work at yourself and you continually work at it. Um, I think self-love is something that's very underrated but overly talked about and what I mean by that is a lot of people think self-love is lighting a candle and having a bath and doing a facial yeah yes that's a huge part of it but that's a very superficial and top layer of it self-love goes a lot deeper it goes down to self-discipline self-respect to subconscious patterns to you know it you really have to do the internal work for it you have to like check in with yourself which it seems like you you do have been practicing yeah I have definitely been practicing it um a lot so so give us some tips especially if anyone listening who's maybe like needing to know how to get on this journey to self-love um and besides you know the whole cracking up open a bottle of wine and having a facial like how how can we really like achieve self-love or I think the first thing is finding that awareness to where you're lacking that love for yourself because for me that first eye-opening experience was my face and my body and my exteriors you know 
for other people, it might be that they've got anxiety and they just feel like they can't um, do a, they're too anxious to maybe talk in front of a bunch of people or they're too nervous to post something on Instagram. And it's finding that thing that's bothering you and finding where is that stemming from? Like, what is it that's really bothering you and finding that, getting to that place of awareness of what the underlying root is to that outward action. For me, because it was experience, I'm sorry, my appearance, it was being able to look at myself in the mirror and not criticize myself. I had body dysmorphia and I would look at myself and I would have nothing nice to say and I'd have like 10 things that I need to improve on. And it was getting to a place of being like, okay, I love, I accept, and I, I see the person I am and I accept it. It was finding the things that I could not control about myself, like my nose. It was like my skin color. It was mm. certain things that I'm like, okay, I can't control this, so I'm going to accept it. You know, there's things that we can control and then by all means put systems in place to work at it. And then there's things that we can't control. So it's finding the things that you cannot control and accepting them. It's finding the awareness of why does it even bother you that you're, you feel like it's not enough, that it's not good enough, it needs to be better. Finding that understanding of what are you even comparing to? Why do you feel like you need to be somebody different or be someone else? So the first step is always to get to the place of awareness of what's actually bothering you. Because again, people want to work at self-love and do all the self-love stuff, but they're trying to like solve a problem that they don't even know what the problem is, right. you know? And that I think is a lot of um, what I see in, in the world right now. People want to make in for it, but not actually getting to the stepping back to say, well, what is the cause of this? Self-evaluation, really. Yeah. And thinking what is the root and what why am I thinking this? Why am I putting value on how I look? Yeah. Um I and it, it makes sense because if you think about, I'm sure when, when you chat to people, so you're in a group of people and you think, okay, I've met X, Y, and Z. Um, maybe X is a little bit, you know, heavier than Y, but you don't think that that I'm not they're not going to be that person's friend or I'm not going to want to chat to that person right like you don't care what they look like you just, you just want to talk to them so if that's how you perceive people why would someone else perceive you in another way also right? why would you perceive yourself differently I yeah. did this thing we're on the tube the lighting is like bright on the underground right mm, yeah, yeah yeah everything but I would always be on the tube and my favorite thing to do was to look at that person like look at whoever I'm yeah in front of me and see what is that defining characteristic I see about that person. So for example, someone can have like really big, bold eyeliner. And I always think like, if I had those features, would that be the thing I want to emphasize? Was that my, not selling point, but was that my like characteristic and feature that I wanted people to notice? Someone else has red hair and I'm like, that's so bold and that's so beautiful. And I would always look at like, if I'd always wonder if I had those features, what would it be for me? Because my features that I've always liked in a way or always emphasized is my eyes and my eyelashes. Like I've just naturally got quite long eyelashes and I'd always put eyeliner on and, you know, without that, I felt kind of naked out, out in the world. Yeah. So that's always been it for me. But I'm like, if I had those features, like what would be my focus and what would I put my money and stuff into buying like would it be a bold red lipstick which to me I've never really been able to do like a red lipstick makes me feel like I'm way out there it takes a lot more courage <laughs> for me to wear that I don't do it yeah, naturally yeah, yeah. Day to day. but you do see some people whose go-to is a red lipstick and it just suits them and that, that they're, that's just who they are every day so I'd always like to look at a person and be like what is it that feature about them that I that sticks out you know is it like is what I notice the same thing as what they want me to notice. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So I would, yeah, I would look at things like that and I just look at everyone's beauty and just think like how amazing it is that they're so different and they just are. Hmm. So I'd always love to appreciate different people's beauty and stuff like that on the tube, which I know maybe when I say it out loud, it's a bit weird. And then I would again think like when I was starting to write the book, I'm like, wow, I could never do this to myself. Like I'm always looking at everybody else and what their features are and what they're like. And I'm like appreciating that, but I'm doing that because I can't appreciate myself. So I'm looking for okay. that external, right? Yeah. 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 And, it, so, and in a way, there's a complete strangers to you. You don't know them, right? Probably you've never seen them again in your life. 
yeah. whereas you're always going to be with yourself so yeah I think that's also that? one thing I loved about London or England that people's self-expression and the way they dress and look is very individual and natural to them there's no like society doesn't look the same right everybody mm. appears for what feels and is their like um style whereas, is that not the I same well, Vancouver got, Vancouver got nominated the worst dress city in the world. Like, oh my gosh. And it's because everybody lives in yoga pants here and it's just in like gym gear or workouts. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, it makes sense with the mountains and stuff that we have. And yeah, trust yeah. me, I, I'm like falling victim to it too, like in true Vancouver yeah. fashion. But no, people do definitely express themselves differently. But um, maybe there's also just not the opportunity, like the transport system is not the same either mm, yeah. so I don't get that level of opportunity I just think it's a, a bit more enhanced in England that's all for sure um and obviously we're in a pandemic <laughs> yeah. how has your lockdown been tell me okay so I feel very blessed um actually because a lot of a lot of this eating disorder and like internal battles and really um yeah a lot of these struggles I had was actually pre-pandemic so I had a whole like six months of a lot of this depressive like maybe it was depression even I don't, I don't know I haven't really labeled it but the this episode um of putting on the weight blaming myself going really within to figure out what's going on um before the pandemic started so I went self-employed from July 2019 so from like July 2019 to December 2020, sorry, December 2019, like that, that six months, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing a lot of the internal work. So as I was feeling in a lot more confident, better place, like letting go of um, blaming my body, blaming myself for a lot of things, I was starting to get to a really good place. And then the pandemic started. So I felt like I put myself in a pretty good mindset and I got really comfortable with solitude in those six months that when it happened in the, like when we started quarantine, I was already pretty comfortable being on my own. I was pretty comfortable with who I was. And then it was just about like, you know, connecting with people online and finding out how I could pivot what I was wanting to do with this new global crisis we're doing we're yeah. in the middle of so that was kind of interesting but um yeah I was just really grateful that I felt like I did a lot of the internal work as we were starting panda the pandemic so I I didn't have to go through that battle on my own in a way sure I mean when the pandemic first sort of hit um London the first thing I thought of wasn't even people's like health like physical health I thought with lockdown the first thing that came to my mind was that the country is going to be in a mental health crisis yeah. and especially for young people who are indoors and let's face it we're on our phones 24 yeah. 7 and social media for how great it is also is it's an absolute beast for sure. um I but definitely... I, you agree right like it's um it's, it's actually really really scary um but I'm, I'm glad your lockdown seems to have actually it... helped you do you said yeah for sure how did it yeah. go for you like in... uh I was do you know what I feel like it's actually been really it's worked out really well for me because it's given me the time to think about uh like what I want to do so even starting this podcast um it's product of uh, the 2020 lockdown I'd say um yeah. thinking that this is something that I really enjoy and sort of giving me the time to really think about it and how I want it to look like what the type of things I want to talk about um maybe reflect on my like professional career as well um so I've used it as like yeah mainly time to uh be productive and to not be so lazy um ironically I have all the time in the world now but I'm a lot less lazy than I was pre-pandemic but I know I'm very lucky that's not the case for a lot of people um if there was any yeah sorry no I've actually talked to a lot of people who are saying similar things like they're feeling a lot more busy during this time um or more productive even because they're finding things to keep them going mm. and we, we've all had a part of lockdown that's been really hard but I feel like most people or a lot of people I should say have had a period where it was really hard and they weren't being productive and doing much and then kind of kicking themselves out of gear um, and trying to do something that really makes them feel good you know and feel that joy um, I, I know a good support system and having people around you, even virtually, I mean, people like to check up yeah, on yeah. has been really important. That's one thing, like what you said in the beginning, that 
in the beginning of the pandemic, I was concerned definitely for the mental health. People in rural and more poorer countries and areas, like I did a 60 hour famine to raise money for families in India who are, I mean, like they were going through it as well, right? Everything oh, yeah. was locked up for them. And I'm like, they don't even, on a, on a normal working day, a lot of people were struggling to make ends meet, meet and get food on the table. So what's happening now? And domestic violence, I'm really like concerned about um, because I think, you know, when you're in a situation of domestic violence, a lot of the time there's that one person who's, whoever's being um, abused in that way, it's really hard to get the courage and to step out of it. And you kind of get, you can get brainwashed into feeling like this is what you're worth and this is what life is you know if it was so easy to just walk out of a situation like that people would but mm. they don't because they feel committed to either the family or their kids or they feel that low um they feel like they're not worth anything better and much better and so when you're then surrounded by it 24 7 it can become really um awful so yeah it was especially in the first few months for me just trying to connect with a lot of people and um make sure that my network and people and that I connect with on social media were feeling okay you know and I'm, yeah. I'm there to talk to yeah to, to reach out to people I think yeah as you said having that having that support system and almost like not living in the bubble of your own mind <laughs> that makes sense you know um solitude is great having time to go within oh, yeah. is great but sometimes it can be too much or you can run into your own spiral where you start um coming up with these destructive thoughts of yourself and destructive patterns that you're, you know, you're like putting too much pressure on yourself. I do that all the time. I'm like, think about all the things I'm not doing and put so much pressure on myself to do better yeah. and serve the world more. And then the, again, that's also self-destructive, but finding that balance, right? Time to meditate, yeah. go within, that's all really important, but then also making sure you're not just living in your own head. Cause that can be pretty That's hard. a really good practical tip as well, because, you know, we talk about, you know, self-love and everything but okay but how do you achieve that and I think I think what we've spoken about has been full of like abundance of practical tips there so yeah really get that support network try not to be in your head too much and um just live your best life really um so uh, just to round things off I've I know we've completely gone off the topic of migration but what we talked about is so much more important I think feel um but you're back now in Canada so yes. how, how did that happen why why why, why did you move back home so because what I was doing was all on my laptop and I was, I mean, self-employed and doing my, my own accountancy, whatever work for six months. Um, and then the pandemic happened and I was trying to get the book going. Um, then like my parents have businesses back home and I've grown up in these childcare centers. So my mom was, you know, really burnt out and feeling the stress of the extra regulation and like procedures and measures that we need to put in place because of COVID. Um, so I just honestly, such an impulse decision within one week, packed up my stuff and moved home. Uh -huh. And I initially came home to help them for a few months. And that was my plan. Um, there were like no flights at the time, unless you were a citizen or whatever you could fly, but to the public, it was not open. And that was still in the time where you could fly to England and just not have to quarantine for that 14 days. Like mm. it was in June. So um, sorry, I guess a bit over six months now. But um, I came home to help them for a few months. And I thought, oh, I'll come back to London and, you know, be back home. That to me, London is really much home for me too. And it's just been really difficult here. And plus, like, things are still not happening and not really great in England. So I've just kind of stuck around. Um, yeah, I've kind of pivoted the businesses a little bit, like not hugely, but just trying to make some practical changes um, and relieve my parents of a lot of pressure um, and maybe make them more modern is a better way of putting it. But <laughs> just doing some, yeah, some stuff that I can to revamp the place a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's why I say the future is a mystery because I made that impulse decision to move here. Um, and I don't really know what's going to come next. I love, like, I've always thought about maybe LA or I do love London. Like, I don't really know where doors will open up. I always check in with my heart and what feels right at the time is the next step for me. So part of me feels like this isn't it. I, I maybe, maybe it's because I lived in a few different cities that I feel daunted about being in one place for the rest of my life. But 
um, maybe it is this place for a while. So let's just see where doors open, I think. Let's see. Yeah. And finally, yeah. final question for you. Now, like currently, so 6th of March, 2021. Yeah. If you had to describe yourself in three words, what would those three words be? Can I have four words? Yeah, go for it. A being of love. Oh, I love that. That's clever. <laughs> <laughs> I think the more I've been working at myself and going within, the more I'm trying to shed all these identities that I put onto myself because I feel like I put myself in a box, you know, that I'm an accountant or I'm a writer or I am South Asian. Like, I really think, and this might be a bit too spiritual, let's say, but. I really think my soul is just occupying this body in this lifetime and I'm here on earth to love and to serve and to do what I can in this lifetime but it's not who I am I've got you know none of us are one-dimensional beings so that one thing within me that I feel like I want to always check in with and shine is just that I am spreading love in the world so however that is whatever area I'm in whatever location I'm in whether it's at work or with my family or friends, I just want to continue to just be a being of love. I feel like that's what we all are trying to get to and search for, right? So, yeah. And I think that, as you said, it doesn't matter what country you're in, what town you're in, even who you're around to an extent, um, yeah. you are you and you know what you what it is that, that you want to do and what makes you happy and what makes you love yourself. So thank sure. you so much. I, I feel like, this has been the interview that has really explored the concept of identity in a, in a way that we haven't yet explored on this podcast. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This has been amazing. I hope I didn't ramble too much, but thanks. Oh, definitely. Thanks.